We're going to be in Psalms 85, if you have a Bible, we'll open up there. And I pray that you would know as we study together on Thursdays and Sundays that it's not, you know, man's word that we're really interested in. We're really interested in God's word. And that's why we open up the Bible and we try our best to teach you what is in this book. You know, in this uh, Psalm 85, 86, and 87, I I was struggling with it, trying to, you know, understand it. Lord, what's he talking about here? And I kept reading it over and over and over and over again. And finally, I felt like the Lord began to open it up to me. And in one sense, Psalm 85 has to do, see if you guys can understand this, like a settler, like someone who's just settling in life. You know, they want, God wants so much more for them, but they're just like settling for the leftovers or settling for second best. They need to wake up, man, to grow up and to just be revived by God. They're, they're sleeping and God wants to uh, awaken them. And so the settler is the first chapter. Then after that is the soldier. And we're going to see in Psalm 86, David, man, he teaches us how to fight this war and we sin and we fall and we stumble and the enemy opposes us and different things happen in life but you just never give up you're not a quitter you fight and we're going to see that in that psalm and so you're you know settlers and then soldiers and then the last psalm we'll look at lord willing tonight is the saint and we're going to close that final chapter there about the new jerusalem about our home it's not Elmani, you know, it's not whatever city you live in. Your home as a saint is in heaven. And we must never forget that. You know, so we're going to talk about the new Jerusalem in Psalm 87. But Psalm 85, written by the sons of Korah, written after Israel's return from captivity. The psalmist here, he seems to be asking for God's grace in order to bring a complete restoration to the nation. And so apparently there were still elements of God's discipline lingering. And so he prayed for God's complete and abundant blessing. I mean, you guys know the way it is, right? The devil, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil wants to steal you from God, kill you, and destroy you forever. But Jesus said in that verse, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. You see, it's not just life that we long for. It's the abundant life that we want. It's not just that, you know, hey, that marriage stays together and survives. No way, man. We want a marriage that thrives, right? And so, Lord, revive our hearts. The sons of Korah, they pray this prayer. It was more than just being back in the land. No, we need to be back in a right relationship with God. Remember, they're in Babylon. It's a cool thing that God set them free. It's a wonderful thing that God brought them back to the land, but it's not just that. It's like in the land, we have to have a right relationship with God that's vibrant, that's powerful, that's spirit-filled, that's on fire, that loves the Lord. See, this is what God wants for us, and I pray it's something that you would even want uh, for your own life. Because look what we read in Psalm 85. It says, to the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin, Selah. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. You know, and, you, and you look at this, and God had done so much. Five specifics are mentioned in these verses. Uh, you have been favorable. You have forgiven our sin. You have covered our sins. You have taken away your wrath. And you have turned from the fierceness of your anger. And so these are amazing things we read. And so you look at this, what God has done in the past, and you would figure, well, they're good to go, right? Everything's great, right? No, that's not what happens. Look at verse 4. He says, Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again 
that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. You see, the the psalmist here, he prays for restoration there in verse 4. For even though they were in the land, they by no means had arrived. We read there in verse 6, notice again, will you not revive us again? They needed to be revived. You know, they, they wanted more, and so they needed to be restored. And it's interesting, the psalmist here, look at at verse 4 and 5, if you would again. He mentions God's anger three times. Look at at verse 4, restore us, O God, of our salvation. Cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? You know, and and you look at that and and you wonder, well, wait a minute, I thought God had kind of taken away his anger, his the fierceness of his wrath we read in verse 3 so what's going on here and what we find is that God apparently was not as angry as he was before but he was still angry to a certain degree you know and I don't know if you've ever been there before maybe with your friend that you forgave or your child that's a challenge you know we hear stories of the spouse who's back in the house but there's still struggles in their relationships there's still strains in their relationships, right? I mean, there's a difference between forgiving someone and completely restoring someone. And what you find with the children of Israel is they came back from Babylon, but when they got there, they didn't necessarily get, you know, in that right relationship. I mean, it took a long time for them even to real, really begin to build the temple. When you read the, the book of Hosea and different books, they were starting to fix up their own houses, And then eventually God said, hey, what about my house? What about that temple that you need to rebuild so that our relationship can be restored? You know, I I don't know if you've ever been there. Have you guys ever been there? You can fight with maybe your spouse and you kind of like, you know, you you know, know, going with the, what they call holy headlock or or wedlock, um, intense fellowship, you know. And then, you know, you kind of settle down, you simmer down a little bit, but you're still a little angry. The relationship still isn't what it should be. It's kind of like that. You know, thank you for forgiving us, Lord. Thank you for bringing us back to the land, Lord. Thank you kind of for working us out. We're not in Babylon anymore, but Lord, there's still more that we need to experience. And so he's saying, restore us. Lord, revive us. Lord, do a work in the nation of Israel. And, and, And he asks for something here that I think the church desperately needs today. Notice again in verse 6, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? You know, I don't know if you feel the same way I do, but I believe with all my heart that that's what the church needs. The church is asleep. The church is fainted. The church is dying. And, you know, you guys tonight coming, man, you're, you're a light. You're a blessing to be here, to see you here. You know, and then what God's doing even in this church, I'm seeing something special. I see God is doing something beautiful and I'm excited, even in my own life, what what God has begun to spark up, He's beginning to do. But I know that generally speaking, we need a revival. We need a great awakening. We need a movement of the Holy Spirit. It's not, enough, it's not enough that we have land. I mean, some people say, well, give me a building, and then we'll kind of see, you know, everything's going to be hunky-dory. No, the building's not the answer. It's the Lord, you know, working in us. It's not the land. It's, Lord, revive us, give us life, give us abundant life, right? And that's what he's asking there for. And, and the reason is, is that so we can rejoice, Notice again in verse 6, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? It's a completely different life when you have that revival, you know? When I read that, I'm reminded of what David wrote in Psalm 51 in verse 12. He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. You know, I don't know how it was for you when you first got saved. I can just tell you my own experience. It was euphoria. I mean, it was amazing what God had 
did, done in my life. And then, you know, you kind of settle in. If you're not careful, you can settle in, you can settle down, you become a settler. And, you know, God, you know, sometimes he needs to bring us through things and revive us and bring us back to where we need to be, restore us, restore to us, Lord, the joy of your salvation. You know, uh, when I think of joy, we have this sign in our house. It says, joy is peace dancing. And I like that, huh? Do you guys dance? You guys ever dance? You know, I like to see people dance when they dance with joy. I wish I had rhythm. In heaven, I'm going to dance, okay? <laughs> I'm going to dance with rhythm. You guys ever see Snoopy dance? You guys know what I'm talking about? That joy. That's what I'm talking about. Lord, revive us. Give us that again. Re re revive us again. Will you not revive us that we may rejoice in you? That, that's what he's asking for. He wants everything that God has to give and one of the things that happens when we're where we belong in our relationship with God, one of the most beautiful things is that you will hear His voice again. And that's what we read it in verse 8. It says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for He will speak peace to His people and to His saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him that glory may dwell in our land. I mean, to hear the voice of God again. You know, I'll tell you what, that's the only place of peace. You know, and I know for us, we have the Bible. This is God's voice. This is God speaking to us. And for the most part, this is where we're going to hear his voice. But even as a Christian, you know, we have this personal relationship with God and he speaks to our hearts. And like he did to Philip, you know, he said, I want you to go over there to that city, to Gaza, where there's desert. So Philip goes and then he says to him, I want you to overtake this chariot, you know, where there was this Ethiopian eunuch. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was speaking to him and he was listening to the voice of God. You know, and there was Israel and there was times in their walk where they weren't able to hear the voice of God. You guys remember when Eli was the judge and his sons were there in the temple and they were sleeping with the women. It was sexual sin and then they were taking their, th their forks and they were putting in the meat and they were stealing from the sacrifices and God was not speaking to them. But then they dealt with the sin and then what ends up happening is God raises up uh, Samuel, and then what ends up happening is Samuel begins to hear the voice of God again for the nation. You know, and the Lord speaks to him. Remember in 1 Samuel chapter 3, Samuel, Samuel, when he gets up, he's just a little kid. He doesn't know what's going on, and he goes to Eli. He said, hey, you spoke to me? He's all, no, I'll go back to bed. <laughs> and then he hears the vo voice of God again, Samuel, Samuel. And so he goes up to Eli, hey, I, I know you, no, I didn't say anything, go back to bed. And then the next time he comes to Eli, and he says, you know what, that's the Lord. The Lord is speaking to you. So the next time he speaks, this is what I want you to say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And here's the thing, what I want to tell you, is that God speaks. God still speaks. He'll never contradict his word, but he still speaks. And so we must listen to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. When we're asking God for revival and God begins to move and God begins to bless and God begins to awaken us and God begins to breathe on us and God begins to move in us and God begins us to give us a hunger to be holy, then, you know, you're like, okay, Lord, and, and, then, and then you speak, right? I mean... Can you honestly say that he speaks to you? Do you listen to him? Remember Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. That's what Christianity is. It's a very personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, but as we follow him, we got to make sure we don't go our own way. Look again at verse 8. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints, 
but let them not turn back to folly. You know, like the Bible says, that a dog goes back to his own vomit. It's crazy, you know? Have you guys ever seen that? It's gross, huh? <laughs> but I remember the first time I saw my dog, Chip, who I know is in heaven now, but, you know, man, it's a trip how people go back to their stupid foolishness, their sin, their, their this is crazy. What he's saying right here is, it's okay, Lord, revive us. Lord, do a work in us. Lord, bring a great awakening. And But the psalmist is saying, but man, as we're singing the song to God, let us not go back to our folly. And of course, he wouldn't say this unless it was possible. What it is, in one sense, it's a warning and it because it happens. They, they turn back to their foolishness, but where do they really go? Are you, God's calling, follow me. Okay, you say, no, you don't want to follow him anymore. Where are you going to go? Who are you going to follow if you don't follow Jesus Christ? And I'm reminded of those words in John 6 and verse 66. It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And that happens today. People sitting in the very seats that you are sitting in. You know, they, they go through life and things go wrong in their eyes and they don't understand the words of Christ. They don't understand the ways of Christ. They don't understand, you know, the, the things of the Lord and they no longer walk with him. That's what it says in John 6, 6, 6. Many disciples walked with him no more. And so in the next verse, Jesus said to the twelve, well, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, being a Christian is just following Jesus. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. Don't go back to your old ways. I mean... Don't go back to the world. Demas left Paul because he loved the world. He says, Demas has forsaken me because he loves this present world. Be so careful. It's so sad that so often when God gets us out of the jam that we're in, we revert back to our old ways. It's that sixth cycle we see in the book of Judges where God delivers, but then his people forget and then they disobey. Eventually, they're severely disciplined and then they cry out out of desperation. God delivers them. Then they do it over and over and over again. And then they die. And they die never having experienced a consistent, victorious Christian life. It's up to you. You know, we read there in verse 9 that if we stay on track, notice what happens. Surely his salvation is nearer to those who fear him that glory may dwell in our land. You know, and if we stay on track, you guys, with a healthy fear of God, you know, we're going to experience the fullness of his salvation and God will be glorified. And I tell you what, man, it is a glorious life when you just love the Lord. And so you're wondering, well, how can this be, Manny? Because I'm all messed up. I am all messed up. Any of you here all messed up? You know, how can this be? And the answer is found in verses 10 through 13. It says, mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall bring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. This is how it's done. You know, verse 10, mercy and truth have met together. Now, if you have an NIV or NLT or NET or almost any other translation in the Bible, it doesn't use mercy. It, it translates this Hebrew word love. Love. Verse 10 says, love and truth have met together. You know, and that is so important. What a blessing when love and truth meet together. Because love without truth, a lot of people are, are, are they don't want to tell the truth. They, just, they think they're loving. No, listen, love without truth is heresy. But, but truth without love 
is hypocrisy. But when love and truth meet together, like the Bible says, speak the truth in love. What a glorious thing God does. You know, when you look at this right here, um, look at the fact, don't you guys kind of like that verse right there? It says, righteousness and peace have kissed. You're like, whoa, the word kiss is in the Bible. They kissed, you know. <laughs> what is it? What is a kiss? What, what do you think of when you think of a kiss? You know, a kiss, it speaks of two sides coming tenderly and lovingly together. And, and where do righteousness and peace tenderly and lovingly kiss? It's at the cross. It's at the cross, right? As C.H. Spurgeon said about this verse, the inner sense is Christ Jesus. And it's there that, that, that righteousness and peace, they, they kiss. You know, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you know, he imputes his righteousness to you and he gives his peace to you, you know, and you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. You know, we don't know for sure. I mean, this guy, what's his name? Luke Perry, that, I think that's his name. He was my age, so young, right? <laughs> 52 years old, you know, and uh, I don't know the whole details, but I know that, boom, man, he just, he went. And we know that no man has tomorrow guaranteed. I'm not lying when I tell you that. I'm not trying to freak you out or scare you. I'm just trying to tell you the truth that you don't know when you're going to die and so you have to be ready. Well, how can I be ready? Believe in Jesus. It's not a religion. You don't have to go get, you know, some sacrament. You don't have to go to Ash Wednesday or whatever. You don't have to do all that stuff. You just have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, repent of your sin and receive him into your heart. Say, Jesus, I want to follow you. When he died on that cross, he died for you. He died for all your sins. And he paid the price that you could never pay. But they put him in a grave. He rose three days later. And it's so amazing. When you place your faith in Christ and you believe in him, not just in your head, but in your heart, then you can know and you can have the peace of God that surpasses understanding. It's a peace with God that you can have tonight. But you have to say yes to Jesus. You have to say, yes, Lord. I believe and I receive you as my Savior. You know, and when that happens, you have this peace because that's where the, the kiss is found. And this is God's heart. You know, it's interesting. I was looking up different uh, words in the, and different places in the Bible where the word kiss is found. And there's not a lot of places, um, but there's a few that stood out to me because in sharing God's heart, because, and I don't want to sound weird, okay, but I am, it's probably, there's no way around it. Do you remember when the prodigal son came home in Luke chapter 15? The Bible says in Luke 15, 20, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. I mean, here's a prodigal son. He's out there. He's sleeping with girls. He's gambling. He's spending all his money. He's just wasting it on prodigal living, drinking, getting high, doing all the crazy stuff. But then one day he comes to his senses and he says, you know, this life is for the pigs. I need to go back to my father and I'll just be a servant because even their life is better than this life. And as he's going back to his father, his father sees him from afar. And remember the story? He runs to him. And man, you know, the, the sandals, the robe, the ring, the party. And then there he is just kissing him. Imagine that. And so that's the father kissing us. But then there's a neat place over in Luke chapter 7 and verse 45 where Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. And he says, you gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. And I guess what I want to share with you tonight is that if you'd be willing to come back to the Father, He'll just kiss you, man. He'll hold you. He'll squeeze you. He'll embrace you. He'll accept you. He'll love you. He'll, he'll, you're His child. And what I want to encourage you to do is accept that kiss and then 
for the rest of your life you just kiss him. Like that woman, you know, she had a lot of sin, but she knew she was forgiven. So all she could do is just keep kissing Jesus. And that's where we need to be. And, you know, the woman's there kissing his feet. And so, you know, in closing, verses 11 through 12, it says, Truth shall, shall bring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him, and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Now, it's interesting what you read right here. You know, um, if you're not careful, you might think, well, there's really nothing there that I can latch on to. But what I, what I see right here is kind of like what, uh, today I went to a Bible study, and Dr. Harold Selah he brought up something really interesting. He said, you know, a lot of times people talk about fundraising, raising money, raising money. It's almost like you're making it come up from the ground. He said, no, we don't do that. We pray money down. We don't, you know, raise money up, so to speak, you know. And so we pray, Lord, you provide for us, right? And that's kind of what we see right here. Um, the, the land is, is yielding truth look for it look at again look at verse uh, 12 truth shall spring out of the earth now now look at verse 12 our land will yield its increase so our land will yield its increase what's he talking about is he talking about crops he's talking about spreading the ski seed and so like i get a whole bunch of corn you know, so that the land will grow and I'll be rich. Well, maybe he's talking about that. Maybe he's talking about, Lord, you know, we need you to give us rain and, and then, you know, our crops will increase. But, but when you read the beginning there of verse 11, he's not talking about crops coming out of the earth. He's talking about truth springing out of the earth. He's talking about what happens when a nation that was supposed to be a witness to the world is revived what happens to a church that is supposed to be a witness to the world is revived truth will spring forth from the land and it's so cool because then you know we we follow in his footsteps that's the very last portion right there and shall make his footsteps our pathway how do you know which way to go you just look at jesus footprints you know <laughs> you just follow him all the days of your life. And so Psalm 85, it's so cool. It's not just survival or revival. It's revival that we crave. And so I pray we wouldn't be settlers. We also need to be soldiers. And Psalm 86 is a psalm of David who found himself in another one of those wars, uh, a day of trouble. Look at verse 1. It says, A prayer of David. Bow down your ear, O Lord, hear me. For I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am holy. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord. For I cry to you all day long. Rejoice the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and, and ready to forgive. And I don't know if you can circle that. But what a beautiful promise. God is good, ready to forgive, and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. And so David is praying, Lord, be merciful to me, hear me, preserve me, save me. I'm, I'm poor and, and needy and I'm holy. In other words, David is acknowledging the fact that he belongs to God. And God here, as David is, is going through this hard time, we're going to see that he needs forgiveness just like we all do. But I want you to know that it's almost like God is here ready to forgive you. Like if you're here and you need to be forgiven, he's just waiting for you to kind of raise your hand and say, Lord, I, I need forgiveness. He's waiting for you to let go of the sin. He's ready to forgive and so we read in verse 6 he says give ear O lord to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications in the day of trouble i will call upon you for you will answer me 
And so he talks right here about the day of trouble. And that's, that's our life, isn't it, man? I mean, it's tough sometimes. You know, there's no doubt about it that some days are, are worse and others are worse than those days. What will you do in the day of trouble? What will you do? Will you run away from God? Or will you run to God? Will you freak out? Or will you cry out? See, this is what we're learning, how to fight as a soldier, because you're in a war whether you know it or not. You are in a war. And we have to know how to, how to fight. Who will we call? You're going to pick up the phone and call who? Who will you call? Will you go to the phone? Or will you go to the throne? You know, David right here, he knew what to do in the day of trouble. In verse 7, he says, In the day of trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. And David knew the way it works. It doesn't matter what you're going through. You know, you're, I know we, we go through hard times, and we're all going to be there. Uh, a lot of the things, living in a fallen world and fallen bodies, fighting fallen angels. I, I don't know what you're going through, but I do know this, that the answer is that you've got to call out to God. You've got to do it with sincerity. You've got to run to Him. For me, I wake up in the morning, or sometimes it's at night. I wake up in the middle of the night. I go into my garage, and I get on my knees. And I just pray. I fall on my face. I put my blanket over myself, my prayer shawl, whatever it might be. And I just pray. You know, sometimes my family's asleep. I have to close all the other doors. Maybe it's too cold in the garage. And I'll go into the other room and I'll just pray. That's what we need to do. You know, when we call, David knows God will answer God promises that in Psalm 50, verse 15, he says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. What you're going through is intended to bring, somehow God's going to work it out to bring him glory. So it's a promise that David knew and so he prays it and therefore he's able to possess the promise. He, he knows the promise because he knows the past. In Psalm 59 and verse 16, he says, but I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning for you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. David had been through that and God had delivered him. David even prays it not only for himself, but he prays it for others in Psalm chapter 20 and verse 1. It says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. Now that's an interesting psalm. Because you might know someone who's in a, you know, a hard place. They're in the day of trouble. They're going through a difficult time in their life. And you and I and we can pray for them. And as we pray for them, you know, we carry them. You know, do you guys remember when your kids were small and they got tired and it didn't take long? And You guys remember picking your kids up and carrying them on your shoulders? You know, carrying them, you know, to their beds because they fell asleep in the car. You know, sometimes we can do that. We can carry people to Jesus. You know, we all have troublesome days. As a matter of fact, in one sense, every day has its portion of trouble. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 34, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so, because we live on this earth, on this side of time, in a fallen world, we will experience trouble. There's no way around it. But some days are double trouble. Some days are worse than others. And do you guys know that that happens to good people? Do you guys know that that happens to Christians? Did you guys know that? You don't think that Christians have, you know, an out, right? No. I remember when I first got saved, that song by Steve Camp that used to minister to me, he said this, he said, there's a hard, hard place no one ever told me of. All I ever heard about was peace and love. I was told that trouble couldn't touch a child of God. So when the trials came furiously, they nearly sucked the life out of me. 
till I prayed. Carry me. And that's what we need to do. You know, as Christians, we're going to go through hard times. We need to pray. And, and, and when we pray, you better know, and I encourage you, know who you're praying to. Look at verse 8. He says, Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. You know, and it's amazing how God has made a way for us to be able to approach his throne, but he has. And, you know, there's no God like our God because in reality there's no other God, right? And he's not just the God of the nations. He's the God of the you know, uh, of, of, of everyone, all people. And we know the Bible says that one day every knee will bow. And so just know who you're talking to when you pray. Jesus said, uh, when you pray, say, our Father. No, that's the one that you're talking to. And when you read this, it's interesting to me. It's not simply the psalmist asking God to, to touch him. He's also asking God to teach him. Look at verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth, unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forevermore. For great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Now this is interesting, because um, verse 11 you know, tells us something very important that it's okay to ask God to to heal you if you need healing it's okay to ask God to help you if you need help but don't forget to ask him to teach you to teach you things about God to think teach you things about yourself new things because he wants to do a new work in your life let me ask you a question what happens when Whatever it is, we'll just say that the, the tree stops growing. What happens? It dies. And you and I will never reach a place where we can't be taught. As a matter of fact, when we go through the hard times, those are the places where if we're open, we will learn the most. You know, when you're going through a hard time, you, you might, when you call out to God, you might discover how big his biceps really are. You know, you're going to see how close and personal he is when you cry out to him. You know, but, but no matter what the situation is, you have to ask God, you know, to teach you. David here asked God to teach him his way. What for? Why does he want God to teach him his way so that he can get a degree in theology so that he can build up his Bible knowledge and know all about prophecy or whatever to impress others? Why does he want God to teach him so, so that he can teach others? No. He wants God to teach him. Notice again there in verse 11, Teach me your ways, O Lord, and I will walk. I will walk in your truth. I want to I learn so I can live. I want to be a, a new man, a different man, a godly man. And, and what I'm finding, and even though I've been a Christian for a long time, the Lord is constantly teaching me things and he's changing me radically. You know, I'm 52 years old and you figure, well, man, he's already learned all the lessons now, right? He's taught through the Bible or whatever the case may be. And absolutely not. I feel like, like, the, like the kid, the first day in kindergarten, man. And I'm just asking God to teach me. And I, I tell you what, anytime you open up this Bible and you spend some quality time with God, He'll teach you new things. You know, but when we learn, we have to make sure the reason we learn is because I want to live it. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We've got to be careful. We're not just professional Christians. Those are those who just profess it. But they don't practice. They don't live. David here says, Lord, teach me your, your ways so that I can walk. 
and, and he, he knows something needs to happen in his heart. Notice again in verse 11, unite my heart to fear your name. And so uh, some of you here, you've probably already had heart surgery. We need to have heart surgery, spiritually speaking. You can't do it, but you can pray it. You can ask God to create in you a clean heart. Uh, the Hebrew word there, bara, it means that it's a new heart, man. And what he does right here is it unites your heart because what happens a lot of times in life is our heart gets divided. You know, we can pray for God to unite our hearts because if our heart is divided, then we're going to end up like Solomon. And it's kind of ironic because not only was his heart divided, but then his kingdom was divided when he died, Right? I remember one time hearing a story, a true story, a little boy who was in Christian school and his parents were Buddhists. And so he went to school and one day they were having the kids come up and tell a little bit about where they were with the Lord. And the little boy, just a little boy, he gets up in front and he says, this part of my heart belongs to Buddha and this part of my heart belongs to Jesus. And if God were to take a spiritual x-ray of our hearts, what would he see? You know, is your heart divided? Is part of it his and part of it yours or part of it your girlfriend's or part of it, you know, your drug habit or, or part of it your anger or part of it your pride or part of it your will? I mean, what, what he's saying right here, Lord, is unite my heart so that it is no longer divided in any way. God, and this is where, and I know that sometimes people think, well, that's for pastors, you know, man, you're, you're like a radical Christian. No, it's, it's just a real Christian. You know, the Bible talks about this over and over again in Hosea chapter 10 and verse 2. It says their heart is divided, now they're guilty, and so God's going to discipline them. To bring him back to him. First Kings 18.21, when Elijah was doing war, he says, how long how long are you going to falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve Him. I mean, how long are you going to wait? In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either they will hate the one and love the other, or else they will be Lord of the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Mammon, that was the God of money. You know, because eventually what ends up happening is your loyalty will be tested. You know, let's just say you have two jobs. Some of you here, you might have two jobs, okay? And you're like, I love them both the same. Yeah, right. You can't love them both the same, right? Because one day, both of your employers tell you, I want, I want to know if you can come in at 8 o'clock. You have to choose. Eventually, you will be tested. You can't serve two masters. And, and what are you saying right here? Lord, unite my heart. You know, James 1.22 talks about the double-minded man. He's unstable in all his ways. And so it's just simply saying, Lord, uh, make my heart right. You know, verse 12, I will praise you, O Lord God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. And that's what happens when you start living that life. It's a wonderful life. It's a beautiful life. You know, we, we praise him wholeheartedly, lift his name gloriously, because he's delivered us eternally. Notice he says in verse 13, For great is your mercy toward me, for you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. And so in verse 14, O oh God, the proud have risen against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life, and have not set you before them, that's David, uh, unceasing opposition. You guys are always going to have it. I wish I could tell you the day will come where you're not, but you're always going to have the bears and the lions and, and the Goliaths and uh, the soldiers from different armies. They're always going to come against you. That's where he is. But, verse 15, you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. Oh, turn to me and have mercy on me. Give strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. 
Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. I remember one time there was this lady, a beautiful mom, and her daughter got shot at a party. Now, this daughter, beautiful young lady, man. I mean, we're talking, you know, this 17-year-old loved the Lord Jesus Christ with all her heart, and she was always sharing with her mom, Mom, you got to come to church. Mom, you got to get your life right with the Lord. And what ended up happening was the mom dragged her feet, dragged her feet, and then one day her daughter got shot. And so if you're the mom, what would you do? You know, it was just a beautiful thing to see that this mom, she ran to the Lord. And she has been serving the Lord now. It's probably been about 30, 35 years, still on fire for the Lord, still loves Jesus. And one day she will see her daughter again. And when I look at her life, it's what we see right here. It brings glory to God. Because people ask her, well, how can you, you know, how can you go through this? How, how did you, you know, make it through that? And she just says, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. I could never do this on my own strength. If I tried to do this on my own strength, I could never do this. I would collapse. I would crumble. I would just, I would, I would never. You don't, you don't get over it. There's always a scar. But God gives you the strength to go on, right? And so when you, when you watch her go through the whole thing, it just brought glory to God. You see, and that's what happens. And I'm telling you this, you don't settle. Don't settle for second best. Be a soldier like, like David was, fighting in prayer, fighting to receive grace, fighting to follow the Lord. And, and then what you'll find is you'll experience this last one, this last psalm right here, and that is the, a saint as a citizen of heaven. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 87, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. It says, His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God, Selah. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia, this one was born there. And of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself shall establish her. The Lord will record when he registers the peoples, this one was born there, Selah. Both the singers and the players on instruments say, all my springs are in you. And, and you look at this psalm and you're wondering, well, what's this all about? You know, in, in a nutshell, Zion is another name for Jerusalem. You know, Zion was where they built the temple. It was the high hill there. And, and, and therefore, it was known as the dwelling place of God. And God says, my favorite city in all of Israel, really my, my favorite city in all the world, is Maui. No, I'm joking. He doesn't say that, right? My, my favorite city is Jerusalem. And when you go to Jerusalem, even nowadays, when you go over and you take that tour and you go over the hill and then, you know, eventually you're able to see this beautiful city. When you're a Christian, man, it just melts your heart. It really does. So Jerusalem, even literally, physically, is the, the most amazing city in the world, but he's not really speaking of the physical, literal Jerusalem today. He's speaking of the Jerusalem that one day in Revelation chapter 21, verse 2, will descend down into earth where there's a new heavens and a new earth and there'll be a new Jerusalem and it is there that we will live with God forever. That's what he's talking about. And, and he's talking about being his favorite city. Why is it his favorite city? Because of the mall? Why is it his favorite city? Because that's where you live. 
You are his joy. You are. When he was dying on that cross, he was thinking of you. He saw you in Jerusalem. He's, you know, kind of like, you know, I don't know, like I think of Turlock, I think, oh, you know, I have family there. I'd like to go see them. Or whatever the city might be, for him, it's you and me in Jerusalem. And he's talking not just about Israel. Rahab was another name for Egypt and Philistia and Tyre and Ethiopia and all the different nations. You know, you got those guys from Almani. They're going to be there too. We're going to have a carne asada reunion, remember? You guys, and I know it's hard, you know, because life, it wasn't supposed to be this way. Sin, sickness, suffering, death, devil. It wasn't supposed to be that way, but we rebelled against God. And we went our own way, but he sent his son to die on that cross for us to bring us back to where we belong. And now as we go through life, we realize, and I don't know how you feel about heaven. You know, I I look forward to heaven. I'm going to be taller. Um, No more gray hair, no more dental floss, no more deodorant. I mean, pizza will be good for you. There's a lot of really good things about heaven. And I I want to be there. No offense. I love my family. I love them so much. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my church. I love my friends. But if God were to say to me, Manny, what do you want to do? I would say, Lord, I want to go home. Because I know that, you know, Paul said in Philippians, I'm torn. You know, I kind of want to go and be with you, Lord, because you're my God. You know, and so... That's in our heart. We all have to finish our race. That's the bottom line. And so heaven is our home. Do you guys know that we're fish out of water? You guys know that? You take a fish out of the ocean and you put it on the beach right there. You give it a little umbrella, maybe give it a little drink on the sand, throw some money at the fish. He's still not home, right? I mean, that's us. We're fish out of water. We're strangers. We're pilgrims. We're just passing through. One day we'll be home in the new Jerusalem. It's going to be cool. And so I pray that would encourage you. I pray that it would be, like we always say, heaven's not just a destination, it's a motivation. And God wants us to finish our race, but prayerfully we know about the new Jerusalem.